I must say that I'm not a superstitious man at all. But this morning, as my notes app began to update in the middle of the doxology, and then I showed up this evening and I left my tablet at home. I thought, what is happening? Am I losing my mind? So I'm going analog tonight. If it's any different, that's the reason. Hopefully it's better. Who knows? And I found a purple pen to take notes with, so that's good. I can read it easily. Uh, So I'm going analog tonight. We're going to have a good time uh, in the book of Deuteronomy. A lot of the Old Testament at times, especially in the Pentateuch, there are difficult, heavy sections. Deuteronomy 15 is... It's one of the best chapters. I would argue the entire uh, Pentateuch, as it relates to us and communicates to us the purpose of the Sabbath and why it was given to men. And how it is we are to keep the Sabbath, not just once a week, but to be those who live according to the Sabbath principle of God's own glorious work of forgiveness. Deuteronomy 15. I'll begin reading in verse 1. I'll read the entirety of the chapter. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner, you may exact it. But whatever of yours is with your brother, your hand shall release. But there will be no poor among you. For the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today, for the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. If among you one of your brothers should become poor... In any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need. Whatever it may be, take care lest there be any unworthy thought in your heart. And you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye looked grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin." You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because of this, or because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. If your brother... A Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman is sold to you. He shall serve you six years. And in the seventh year, you shall let him go free. And when you, shall, when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your winepress. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. But if he says to you, I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household since he is well off with you, then you shall take an awl and put it through his ear into the door and he shall be your slave forever. And to your female slave, you shall do the same. It shall not seem hard to you when you let him go. 
For at half the cost of a hired worker, he has served you six years. So the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. All the firstborn males that are born of you, of your herd and flock, you shall dedicate to the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You shall eat it, you and your household, before the Lord your God year by year at the place that the Lord will choose. But if it has any blemish, if it is lame or blind or has any serious blemish whatever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You shall eat it within your towns. The unclean and the clean alike may eat it as though it were a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it out on the ground like water. As far as the reading of God's word, let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, we ask that you might give us wisdom as we seek to understand the glorious truths of your word. Though they be ancient, they are for us today. Like drippings of the honeycomb. Lord, they are precious. And so may we seek to know them and apply them that we might live a life of fullness before you and men, we pray in your name. Amen. Woven into the very fabric of God's society, that is the church, and here in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, into the very fabric of his society and God's own work among his people is the idea and the real offer of forgiveness of sins and release from the tyranny of death. God had freed Israel from Egypt, the land of bondage to sin and death, and he desires and installs a system of laws that reflect Israel's own liberty from sin and death that come through God. So that we might say this, As God was endeavoring to erect a society, a holy society through his prophet Moses, we might say that there is no law so blessed and committed to the promotion and preservation of life and joy and beauty and holiness and satisfaction as that law that comes from God that rejects wickedness. Instead, it embraces righteousness, that only principle that can promote life. I'm not talking about your pleasure. I'm talking about the promotion of divine glory. For oftentimes our own pleasure runs contrary to the law of God. And though we may think, I am free. I'm free. As many of the secular enlightenment thinkers and writers said, that in order for man to truly be free, God himself must be dead. His revelation must take no place in our society, in our thinking. The problem with that is... You can't run from your created identity. God has written his law upon your hearts and so that even the most vile sinners and philosophers cannot help but speak at times truth that resonates with the law of God. If we are to be a people devoted to love and good deeds, if we are to be a people that magnifies the glory and beauty of forgiveness, we must be at our very heart a Sabbatarian people. Now, you've heard it said about the OPC. Ooh, mm, the OPC. I know about the OPC. They are that Sabbatarian denomination, which pejoratively speaking, what most people mean when they say that is, they're going to make me to come to church on Sunday night. And we're going to say, we're going to try We hope you come without us trying. And the reason for that is stated simply by Christ. Man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. Say you have a spouse or a mother 
Or maybe you go to a fine restaurant and a beautiful, exquisite, well-prepared meal is set before you. And you say, nah, I don't think so. Every Lord's Day, God has in his word. Now, I'm not complimenting my preaching here, okay? That's not what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit, through his word, serves up the good stuff. As the Puritan said, it's the market day of the soul. And in the Lord's day, in his sanctuary, we come and we see all of the beauty and the glory and the grandeur of God himself. We see his face in scripture and he meets with us and we meet with him. What effect does that have on us? That is what Deuteronomy 15 wants to instill. What is the effect of a Sabbath life? A life of release and forgiveness. Two points that I want to make. The first, a year of release. A year of release. And then second, a fabric of forgiveness. A fabric of forgiveness. Let's look at the first point. A year of release. At the end of every seven years, a Sabbath year, God commands Israel through Moses to grant a release and how it is applied here in chapter 15 in three areas. Debt, slavery, and the firstborn of your flocks. Debt, slavery, and the firstborn of the flocks. Every seven years, those who owed money to someone, their debts were forgiven. Can you imagine what would happen to Capital One? Chase, discover, they would go away. And all of us would say, Hallelujah, praise Jehovah, the creditors have been run out of town. Now, within God's society, there is an accommodation for the effects of sin. And the effects of sin upon men are this. There are weak, there are poor. There are rich, there are strong, there are masters and there are slaves. And all of these things are the product of sin. If there were no sin, there would be no debt. There would be no slavery. There would be no call to sacrifice the firstborn or to enslave the firstborn. There would be no Egypt in Israel. In Israel, under the bondage to Egypt, Israel's slavery to Egypt is the direct effect of the enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. All conflict, all of the problems that God is addressing in Deuteronomy 15 are the product of your sin and my sin. Because we are sinful, therefore, God gives us a law whereby there might be granted release. And so every seven years, if you owed money to someone, the one to whom you owed money had to forgive your debt. And the reason is made very clear. You ready? And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because... The Lord's release has been proclaimed. Your life, your dealings with men must reflect God's redeeming love and release of your soul from bondage to sin and death. And not just bondage to sin and death, but real physical bondage. This isn't one of those things where, and this often happens... And it happens in reform circles. We over-spiritualize Deuteronomic law. And we say, oh, that doesn't apply anymore. Let's see how it applies only to the church. Can you imagine a society in which those who owed money every seven years their debts were forgiven? For no other reason than this. It exalted the name of Christ Jesus. 
It exalted the name of God, who is a God who forgives. Can you imagine if we had such social interactions? What happens every month you owe money to Chase? You become their slave more and more and more and more. Why? Because they do not lend as God commands lending. In fact, God even says, if you're going to lend, just go ahead and lend without interest. That's a tough principle. So God is saying, be released from your debts. Now, the idolatrous are stingy. Look at verse 3. Of a foreigner, you may exact it. Now, as God is commanding Israel in their relationship to those who are not of the household of faith, they are to forgive those who are in covenant with God, but not those who are not in covenant with God. There is a clear advantage in the society of saints to be united around the God who gives law. And the benefit will be this. Verse 4. But there will be no poor among you. Now look at this. This is interesting. Go to the end of the chapter and we see at the end of chapter 25 or towards the end of chapter 25, verse 11, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. There will be no poor. There will always be the poor. Why is there poverty? Because we live in a world broken by sin. And the mission of those who are committed to the exaltation of the glory and honor of God, must take it personally that they should seek the eradication of poverty as best they can. Right? There is always, therefore, a mission. This Sabbath year will always then need to be part of our society because we will always have the poor. Now, here is the irony. In the land in which we live, most often, if you are lifted out of poverty, who wants credit? The bureaucrats in Washington, right? And so they say, we, we will deliver you. Let us be the body that brings you and lifts you out of poverty. And yet the reason why the welfare system does not work is connected to this principle. It does not proclaim the majesty of God's liberation from Egypt. There is no salvation principle. And so at the very heart of this release of debt is the mercy and kindness of God to free us from sin. And in our dealings with one another, we are to be Sabbatarian in liberating others from the debt that they owe to us every seven years. Now, for the one who's being freed, it's all good, isn't it? But what about the person who still has, say, $5,000 that's owed to them? What must you do? Well, you can't extract it unjustly or be unwilling to lend knowing that the seventh year is coming. You must be free. You must have an open heart and an open hand with your fellow brothers and sisters. With those who exalt the name of God, you must be charitable. And in order to be charitable, what must the giver believe about God in his relationship with the giver? That God will take care of him. If you do not give freely, 
In essence, what you are saying is, God will not in turn give to me. The way that this principle is applied in Scripture is, those who, are, who forgive little are forgiven little. In fact, an unforgiving heart is the testimony of someone who has not been forgiven by God, but an unregenerate heart. God calls us to weave into the fabric of our society gospel principles so that we may not forget what God has done for us. And so there is a release from debt every seven years, and not only that, but there is also a release from slavery. Now, I will say this about the Hebrew form of slavery. It's beautiful. It's glorious. In the same way that God has dealt and set up a structure of dealing with the debt of others, bond servancy in Israel was also a way in which a person who had no marketable skills, no money, no possessions, might indenture themselves to another that they may be cared for by entering into that house and saying, help me. Now, some of you young people who may be offended by this, There are a lot of young people who graduate from college or are in college or you have a job and this is what you say to your parents. Mom, dad, I have a job. I'm not making enough money to live on my own. Can I come live in your house? Guess what? You're a bondservant. That's what you are. You're living off the charity of those with more. You are saying, I will go into your house and as far as I'm concerned... You will live according to the laws of that house, and you will be a real member of that home. Now, I've moved on from that metaphor, that illustration. So what would happen in Israel is this. Someone with a lot or something would be approached by someone with nothing, and they would say, I've got nothing. What do I do? And that person would say, why don't you move in with us? I'll teach you a skill. I'll pay you. And at the end of... Well, six years, you can go free from my house with something in your hand, that is possessions, a skill, and you can go out into the world better equipped than when you came into my home. It's like an apprenticeship program, essentially. It's a way of moving people who are either inexperienced, worthless, or lazy, or simply suffered under hard providence to get them into a place where they may and themselves get to a point where they can give back. And so if a Hebrew has been sold into slavery, then after six years, verse 12, he is to be freed with something in his hands. Again, this idea not of closed hands and closed hearts, but open hands and open hearts. And they are to go out unless the slave says, you know what? I love this house. I'm going to work here forever. And so what God called them to do was, get, you know, all is, it's a, it's a hole punch. It's, a, it's just a long, pointy metal thing, with, usually with a, a blunt end on one side so that you could hit it with a hammer. They go over and they stand by the door. They put their earlobe against the door, and then they drive the metal piece right through the earlobe. They're just getting their ears pierced. What that indicated was that person was permanently part of the home. It did not indicate like branding cattle. This person is the property of this person. But this person, who was not once part of this family, is now part of this family and under the covenant headship of the man of the house. Can you imagine what kind of home that must have been if you chose to stay in that home instead of go out 
I'm not talking about failure to launch. (laughs) But you could for the rest of your life. What you're saying is, this is my home. Have you ever known people like that? You just walk into their homes, you go, man, it it feels like I'm home. This is, I could, I think I may adopt these couple as my parents. This is like my, I think it could be my brothers and sisters. What God was seeking to establish in Israel was a kind of brotherhood and sisterhood, a, a sense that the whole nation was to be a family devoted to lifting one another up in such a way that they could care for one another. Lend freely. Even as God has given to you, set them free. But if they don't want to go free, keep them. But if they do want to go free, what does God say? Don't say, oh well. Then you shall take in all. Uh, Look at verse 18. It shall not seem hard to you when you let him go free from you. For at half the cost of a hired worker, he has served you six years. He's already gotten financial gain from it. And then again, what do we see in verse 18 at the end? So the Lord will bless you in all that you do. I think, brothers and sisters, oftentimes we live our lives financially, we live our lives socially, as all of that stuff takes place under the sun and there is no God that rules and reigns over our relationships one another. We are dog-eat-dog. Even as Christians, we think, all right, the church is spiritual, but everything else is just a matter of wisdom and principle. No, God wants our dealings with one another to be... uh, flavored and seasoned with the spirit of release. And then there's the release of the firstborn, verses 19 through 23. This is a much shorter section. In this section, God says, in the seventh year, all of those firstborn of your flocks shall not be used in the field or shorn. They shall be devoted to eating. My favorite kind of cow is the filet mignon on my plate. (laughs) My favorite kind of pig is the bacon on my plate. God is saying, I'm letting you have back that which once was devoted to me. So he says um, in verse 19, all the firstborn males that are born of your herd, you shall dedicate to the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. Here it is in verse 20. You shall eat it, you and your household, before the Lord. And so you get to not, you get to take that thing that you would devote to service and you take it out of the flock and you devote it to the Lord by eating it before Him. And what you're in essence saying is, I'm trusting God that He will provide for me the livestock that is needed so that I can eat this one before Him. You celebrate. That animal is released from service into your tummy. And they enjoyed it. Now, in order to eat before the Lord, that animal had to be pure. Let's read. But if it has any blemish, verse 21, if it is lame or blind or has any serious blemish whatsoever, you can't sacrifice it to the Lord and then eat it, but you can eat it somewhere besides Jerusalem. You can eat it, you still can enjoy it, but it cannot be eaten before God in His holy city. And not just you. 
but the unclean and the clean alike. That is, Israelites and sojourners, they may eat it as though it were a gazelle or a deer. These animals you saw last week belong to a list of clean animals that could be eaten. But you can't eat its blood. And so we see these three principles of release. And what God is seeking to do is weave within to society, secondly, a fabric of forgiveness. All of it was a call to remember what God had done for Israel. It is a call to remember deliverance. Deliverance from barrenness, from death, from captivity, from the hands of wicked men. These were the works that God did among Israel and are worthy of deep and continued contemplation. They are the gracious acts that undergird the structure of society. And they ought to undergird every society especially the society of the saints. And so this deliverance bears the characteristic of mercy, of undeserved kindness and grace to sinners. This is the Sabbath mindset. The Sabbath was a day of rest that acknowledged the work that God had done to bring his people into a state of peace, a land flowing with milk and honey, a place of release. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It is a call to remember and rejoice in God's forgiveness and that we are to be in every way, as a church, a Sabbatarian city. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12 reads, Therefore, As the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you must also forgive. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of God, or word of Christ, dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It sounds idyllic. How do you get there? How does a body of people who owe money, who are owed money, who are masters, who are slaves, how do we get to this kind of place? We get there by observing and celebrating and applying the Sabbatarian principle of God's sovereign supernatural release of our souls from death. The city of God is to be filled with people who fit the description of Colossians chapter 3. We are to be a body who knows where our mercy comes from who understands where our release of debt, of enslavement, and of judgment comes from. It comes from the hands of God, through the Son, sent to be a reconciling, freedom-bringing Savior. We are to be a city set on a hill whose light is the Sabbath light of divine release from sin and death. This is why we celebrate the resurrection of Christ from the dead as the new covenant Sabbath on Sunday. Because Christ is the ultimate expression of our release. What greater release is there? Name it. Your release from sin and death is greater than the day you paid off all your credit cards and you finally signed that last check to the bank you owed your mortgage to. All of that combined. 
Your soul is imprisoned to sin and death and hell. And Christ, by his Holy Spirit, comes in. He grabs you and he pulls you out. And that is what we celebrate on the Sabbath. The day of your freedom. Juneteenth, right? Isn't that the big emancipation day? No. It was the day of Christ's resurrection. That is the day of our emancipation. And if we are free in Christ, we are free indeed. And the way in which we keep the Sabbath, the writer of Hebrews says, is we embrace the one who fulfilled the glorious reality and principle of the Sabbath. When Christ came and he broke the bonds of sin and death, what he was doing for all of his people was for all eternity, no more seven years, spiritually speaking, but once and for all, Christ destroyed the power of the devil. He broke his back and he set the captives free. And when we enter into that rest through Jesus Christ, we are free indeed. And the one who has released us is Christ We celebrate our Lord's resurrection as the singular Sabbatarian principle because that is the day that he has set us free. The scripture says, in the day of Christ's resurrection, he led a train of captives in his, a a train of of those who were captive to him out of the grave. We are united with Christ's death. We are united in his resurrection. And as those who are raised were no longer debtors, slaves, devoted to a life of meaningless toil, but consecrated wholly to the Lord, free men in Christ Jesus. And so what are we to do? Trust that this rest, though it may elude us in our work, in our relationships, in life, even as we labor for the end of poverty, we will always have the poor with us. Even as we seek to rest in Christ, there will always be elements of our heart that seek rest in other things. But we must still enter into that Sabbath rest. Every Lord's Day, you have an opportunity to remember who your liberator is. Which is interesting. Because so often on Sundays, we want to go back to the life of captivity that offers us nothing but meaningless toil, it seems, right? It's hard not to think about work. Why? What is there for you in it? Especially in contrast to the meditation upon the glorious promise and the reality of our freedom in Christ Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews says this, Today, today, do not harden your heart as Israel did, but enter into the rest. Now the writer of Hebrews is not saying Go to church. The writer of Hebrews is saying, embrace the Messiah. When Israel rejected the promised land, they rejected a life of glory and rest and peace in that glorious promised land. And because they rejected it, they rejected the offer of salvation. And that is why they languished and were cursed in the wilderness. But instead... Keep the Sabbath here, that you might enter the Sabbath above. Or to put it this way, trust in Christ for salvation, and you will find full and final release in the final resurrection. When Christ comes again, he will bring ultimate, eternal liberty to our souls. Let us pray. Oh, Lord our God, we do pray.